And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yo, yo, welcome to another post-game edition of the Forum Club. I am your host, Jovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And I did not think it was possible. Uh, I, I made the joke last podcast that the OKC, the, the first OKC game was uh, anticlimactic after the anticlimactic Detroit game, but the Lakers figured it out. They, they, they figured out how to go to three consecutive overtimes with two different lottery teams. Uh, so, I mean, we were joking about it on press row uh, that th- this game was somehow going to find a way to go into overtime, and it actually happened. Uh, so three consecutive games in, in overtime for the Lakers. They get the 114 to 113 victory over the Thunder on Wednesday night to improve to 20 and 6 and 8 and 4 at home. But again, the real story here is a third consecutive overtime. Uh, it is the first time a team has won three consecutive overtimes since Minnesota in 2007. And it's the first time the Lakers have gone to three straight overtimes since 1991. Uh, fun fact, that is before I was born. I was born in 1992. So that is just, hey, it's insane. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a once in a decade type thing. Uh, so enjoy it while, while it lasts. I know most fans were not enjoying it um, and kind of living through the pain of uh, the, the stress of th- this game. And so I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about this game because uh, like LeBron, uh, who didn't talk to the media tonight. I'm tired uh, after three consecutive overtime games. Uh, so I, I'm just going to kind of uh, glide through the box score here. LeBron had 25, 6, and 7. Uh, he ended up making the game ceiling play. The Thunder had four seconds left in overtime. Uh, down one, you know, you, you got a two-pointer, you win. And Le- LeBron gets this uh, deflection in, in the backcourt as the Thunder inbounding and uh, ends up saving the ball and the Thunder get, you know, like a half court shot at the buzzer and, and miss. Uh, so Le- LeBron saved the game, but he also saved the game by hitting the, the three-pointer to send it into overtime late, you know, just made big play after big play down the stretch. And I, I think, you know, depending on how you look at it, I think this is strengthening his MVP case because on, on, on the one hand, the Lakers shouldn't be in these positions, you know, even without Anthony Davis, who, so again, AD and, and Alex Crusoe were, were out for this game. Uh, but, but even without those guys, like this Thunder team had eight guys. They didn't have Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, who's their best, you know, far and away their best player. And for, for them to take the Lakers, you know, to uh, overtime again, you know, I, I think that that could be held against. LeBron in his MVP case, right? But you could also look at the flip side. Like he made so many clutch plays and, and, and so many critical plays down the stretch of, of this game. And I think, uh, again, just another crunch time win for him uh, that, that 
you know, the, the Lakers definitely got contributions from other guys, but LeBron was the driving force as he usually is. And I think, you know, deserves credit. And we'll get into his MVP case in a little bit. Uh, I want to touch on a story that went up today that I wrote um, that I think you guys will find interesting. But go through the, the, the rest of the box score here. Uh, Kuz, 15 points, nine rebounds. Had another big rebounding game. Uh, I, I thought made some some huge plays, you know, just cleaning up the glass. But, um, you know, d- defensively switches uh, his one offensive rebound, you know, scoring on that. And I, he just... Kuz is is making winning plays, and I, I think he's hitting a really nice groove in terms of his ability to just do multiple things, to, to wear multiple hats, to, to just you know do whatever a lineup needs. Kuz can kind of he's a plug and play guy at this point, where he, he can just adapt like a chameleon to a lineup and, and kind of okay, well we, we need some shooting, okay I, I'll spot up, um, you know or, or move around and, and create openings. Uh, we we need some cutting, we need some movement, I'll do that. We need to get out in transition. I'll leak out. Um, you know, we need some rebounding. I'll, I'll crash the offensive glass. I'll, I'll box out my guy, clean up the defensive glass. So I think Kuz has is, is played really well. Marcus Sol uh, had a, a block taken away from him uh, because he had three blocks at one point, finished with two. Uh, but I was going to say that this was actually, the, you know, would have been the fifth time this season already that Marcus had three plus blocks which he only did that three times total last year in Toronto. Um, so I, I think Mark has acclimated himself well defensively. Um, you know, Al Horford took it to him. So I, you know, a few times I, you know, that, that wasn't good. Uh, you know, Al Horford taking him in the low and in mid post and facing up and, and hook shots and stuff. So um, it wasn't a great or, or necessarily even a good Mark Gasol defensive game, but I think overall, um, he, he has looked a lot better on that end in, in terms of his timing and, and just understanding the Lakers scheme and, and what they want from him. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Dennis, uh, another good game from Dennis, 19.7 rebounds, five assists. Like, you know, without AD, he is clearly the number two option on this team. Um, You know, he and Trez are kind of 2A, 2B. uh, But but Dennis continues to play really well uh, and I think has looked much better over the past couple of weeks. Like, I think he's really wasn't sure if it was just like a little hot streak from him or he's not going to shoot the ball as well as he's been shooting. But I do think he's found a, a very nice comfort zone within the offense. Uh, KCP struggled again, two for six, four points. Um, I, I wrote about that today, so I'll, I'll, t- I'll touch on that. But KCP is, is in a funk right now, 0 for 2 on threes and just not, you know, not shooting the ball well. Uh, Markeith Morris, I, I think, was the underrated uh, MVP of this game for the Lakers. Hit a big three late, took a big charge, uh, 9.6 rebounds, a steal, in 25 minutes, I thought this was his best game of the season. And, you know, coming off of, you know, the the, the game that Wes Matthews had last game, uh, I thought it was nice to see. And Wes had a, a, another good game, you know, 10 points, hit, hit a clutch three late. But I thought it was nice to see Markeith follow that up with, you know, like this is, there's a reason why people say the Lakers are the deepest team in the league. Or, or, you know, at one of at a minimum, but I think most people would say the deepest. And, and this is 
Why? Because you have guys like Markeith and Wes who would be playing uh, for most playoff teams, would possibly be starting depending on the team. Uh, you know, not not every team, not a majority of teams, but the, there are teams that I mean, Wes was starting on the Bucks last year. Uh, you know, I, like th- those guys are contributors; that they're solid players. And and yes, like they are the tenth and eleventh, you know, guys on this team. But for most teams, they would be in the top seven or eight. And for for them to basically, you know, miss the last four games and and, and be cold. And then to come in and, and you know perform the way they did the last two games, like I think kudos to those two, and, and they deserve a shout out. Trez, another big game, twenty points, eight to ten shooting, only four rebounds, uh, but but did have a couple of blocks. Tht, a bit of a, a regression from him in this game, four points, two of eight shooting. Um, th- this was one of those games where, where Tht looked human, right? Like he, he looked like a twenty year old. Uh, which he isn't, and, and that's fine, right? It's, it's not, you know, to criticize him. It's just um, these are the growing pains you have as a 20-year-old in the NBA on a contending team. Uh, so I, I think, you know, tonight was one of those nights went 0 for 3 uh, on threes, and uh, you know, the Lakers just went uh, 10 to 35, 28%. But I want to transition into a story that I wrote today, the second edition of State of the Lakers, which is my check in with the team every 10 to 12 games or so. Uh, so in this case, it had been 14 games, so a little bit longer than normal. But this was heading into today's game, so uh, some of these things have not been updated. But I, I bounced around 10 different storylines. And, uh, you know, so first, LeBron's growing MVP claim. I think that the MVP discussion is very difficult because there is no definitive criteria, right? Like, is it the best player in the league? Because then LeBron would have like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 MVPs instead of the four he has. Is it the best player statistically that season? You know, is it the guy who's leading in Raptor and, and RPM and PIPM and, and, you know, now the LeBron metric and, and all these different metrics? Like, is it that player? Um, is it the player on the best team? Uh, you know, is is it just who's the best player on the best team or is it the best narrative? And, and we've seen that over the, the past decade, you know, narrative has played into it. Uh, best player, you know, kind of standing as the best player in the league has played into it. Best player statistically, best player on the best team. Like all those things have factored in to some extent in, in the MVP race. And it really changes year by year, you know, candidate by candidate. But if we're taking those four as sort of the measures that, you know, you can usually group an MVP into at least one of those four categories, right? Like, let's just take Giannis last season. Best player on the best team, for sure. Best narrative, that that's kind of subjective. I don't know if Giannis, I, I personally don't think Giannis was the best narrative last year. It probably would have been LeBron just winning a fifth MVP, uh, you know, at, at 35. Uh, but you know, the, the, there there could have been other um, you know, Luca was coming up. Like so, I, I don't. I think the best narrative was kind of unclear last year. Uh, best player statistically that season, yes, it, it was Giannis. And best player in the league, I think that was up for debate. Most people were saying it was between LeBron and Kawhi. I think most people had Giannis third or fourth in that discussion. So you know, for, for Giannis, it was probably like two to two and a half of those four measures 
Giannis checked the boxes. This season, I think LeBron checks three of the four. I, I think he's the best player on the best team. Uh, I, I know you guys aren't going to fight me on that. Uh, I think he's the best player in the league, which, you know, he, he reclaimed that last season in the bubble, uh, if there was any doubt on that. And I, I think most people, if you, had, if you had to win one game or one playoff series, you would pick LeBron. I, I just don't, you know, maybe people disagree with that, but I, I just think most people would pick LeBron. Until someone beats him in the postseason, you know, following last season's run, I just don't see how you don't pick him. And then from a narrative perspective, again, this is subjective. And, uh, you know, th- there are several compelling storylines. You know, what, what Nikola Jokic is doing in Denver, what, what Joel Embiid is doing, like those guys really stepping up. And I, I think, you know, most people had them in that five to 10 range when ranking players. And, and those guys have been top five players this season. So, so them kind of taking that leap is very difficult and very impressive. But to me, the best narrative is LeBron, um, you know, kind of in a way similar to what Tom Brady did in in Tampa, but, but being frankly even better than Tom Brady was, um, you know, th- this past season, of course, there's an age gap there, but, uh, you know, defying father time and winning his fifth MVP at 36 years old, I think that is a great narrative. That That is special, that's historic. Um, you know, it would make him the the oldest MVP winner. Uh, it would kind of, I think, just be a nice feather in his, you know, cap of, of, of accomplishments in his career. Um, you know, and, you know, if he wins an, a fifth ring this year and gets a fifth finals MVP, that takes him from 444 to 555. So I think that, you know, like, again, if you're going to go by the, the advanced metrics, perhaps, you know, Nikola Jokic, Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, like some of these guys have potentially more of an argument than LeBron. But I, I do think if you look at the, the kind of buckets that people usually pull from for MVP, LeBron has at least two, if not three of the four uh, primary ones. So I, I think he has a strong MVP case. Uh, I know ESPN just did a media straw poll that I participated in uh, where, where Tim Bontemps asked a hundred different media members for their MVP ranking. I had LeBron first and he finished first uh, by I think almost a hundred points over Joel Embiid, who was second. So I think it, things are lining up for LeBron to get MVP. Uh, you know, it, it's, it is a third of the season. So, you know, we, we got to see what happens over the, the next 70% of the season or so. But um, I, I do think that he, he is in a good spot. Um, so a, a couple other things I bounced around. I bounced around the new nine-man rotation. I think Frank Vogel has an interesting choice to make with, with Wes Matthews. Uh, you know, is he going to stretch it to 10? Is it going to be nine and a half where maybe Wes plays, depending on the matchup, like if they're playing a, a wing-heavy team, maybe Wes gets some minutes. Is Markeith just shut out entirely, right? Like, I, I don't know. These are tough decisions. And, uh, you know, the, the nine-man rotation has worked. But Wesson and Markeith have played well over the past couple of games. And we'll, we'll see what happens uh, on Friday against Memphis. Like, is AD back? Is Alex Crusoe back? What do those guys look like in, you know, that context? Um, Dennis Schroeder, his defense has stood out. And you know, everyone's, we know why he was brought in. He was brought in off for, for his offense to be that third score, to be a, a secondary play, you know, playmaker and, and pick and roll guy next to LeBron and late in games, but his defense, um, you know, having a career year defensively uh, in multiple metrics, um, 
uh, you know, according to Synergy, you, you know, is is having his best defensive season of his career. Uh, so I, I think, you know, he, he's by no means perfect. He's not an elite defender. The Lakers are actually entering tonight where 9.2 points per 100 possessions better with him off the floor defensively, which is the biggest gap on the team. Um, so, you know, it hasn't necessarily materialized in the numbers for the Lakers, but I, I think, uh, you know, Dennis ha- is having a really good year defensively and it has been a, a pretty big surprise. Rim protection has actually become a concern. So wh- when I did the first state of the Lakers, uh, at-, at that time, the Lakers had dropped off a little bit from, you know, some of last year's top four, top five, top six numbers to like seven, eight, nine range. Now they've plummeted to 19th in field goal percentage allowed in the restricted area and 19th in field goal percentage allowed within five feet. Uh, last season, they were top five in both categories. So there has been some slippage in, in terms of the rib protection. I think some of those concerns of, you know, can Marcus Soule and Montrez Harrell protect the rim at the same level that JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard did, uh, those have played out. Th- those are legitimate. Um, you know, it's not... Uh, at first, it was not the case, but over the past few weeks, the Lakers have slipped up in those areas. Um, and, and it's not just percentage. It's they're, they're allowing the second most makes and attempts in the restricted area. Uh, you know, so IE 29th in, in both categories. Uh, last year, they were 11th in makes allowed and 15th in attempts allowed. Uh, and they're also 26th in points in the paint allowed after ranking eighth last season. So again, um, it, it's not just the percentage that that has decreased it is they're letting guys get to the rim way more than than last season um looking at the data i actually put a a table in the article percentage of shots at rim when player x is on the court and field goal percentage allowed at rim when player x is on the court uh what was interesting to me uh that that i i saw was the bench actually does a better job of, of preventing shots at the rim if you look at the data the starters, you know, all five starters are, are bottom five in the rotation uh, in terms of percentage of shots at rim. So that means teams are getting to the rim against the starting unit. But field goal percentage allowed at the rim, that's where it starts to, to differentiate a little bit where you still have Dennis and KCP at the bottom there. They're, they're two of the bottom three. But that's where Montrez Harrell really sticks out. He is second worst on the team, allowing 65.5% shooting at the rim. Uh, per cleaning the glass and cleaning the glass's definition of shots at the rim are shots within four feet. Uh, so that that's where, you know, you look at Montrose Harrell at 65.5% versus Marcus Soule at 62.4%. You know, 3% is a big gap. AD at 63.3%. That 2% is a big gap. So, you know, Montrose Harrell has clearly struggled in that rear protector role and defenses are eating uh, against him um, when he's out there. And because, you know, I, I looked at it with 80 at the five, the Lakers are only allowing 53.7%, which is an elite number and, you know, very, very good. So 80 at the five has worked. Um, whereas on the flip side, the Harold Davis minutes uh, have allowed 71.9%, which is just atrocious. That's 6% worse than, than Trez um, overall. So, you know, Lakers got to figure that out. But I think that the Harold Davis minutes have been a bit of a disaster uh, d- defensively so far in-, in terms of protecting the rim. Um, that said, <laughs> the Lakers are first in the, uh, in defense by a mile. They- they've been first, uh, the, the number one, uh, number one spot in defensive rating since January 13th. So basically a month. 
The gap between them and Philly at number two is the same uh, gap as Philly at number two and San Antonio at number nine. Uh, so that that shows you the, the type of gap that the Lakers have there uh, with the number one spot. And aside from the rim protection, which has been a bit of a struggle, they are top eight in the other uh, five shooting zones. So non-restricted paint area, they're first. Mid-range, they're eighth. Uh, left and right corner threes, they're first. And above the break threes, they're eighth. And overall, they're first in three-point defense. So the, the reason why, I mean, for, for those asking, how are they still first, uh, d- despite being so bad at protecting the rim, it's because they've, they've been so good in the other areas. Now, three-point defense um, is a, a little... There's a lot of variance in that, and and that can regress. So you know, part of that is just teams missing, and you know, Lakers can't really count on being first in three point defense necessarily all season. But if you're wondering why they've been so good, that that's why. Um, also wrote on THT and, and just kind of how he's arrived and, and he's emerged in the rotation. Um, I wrote about and this played out tonight. Uh, the Lakers are 12 and 0. When they make more threes than their opponent, seven and six when they don't. They made more threes than the Thunder tonight. That that moved them to 13 and 0 now when making more threes than their opponent. So the, the gist of that was just I, I think they need to start taking more threes. Um, you know, and if you look at the seven offenses ahead of them in offensive rating, all of them are taking over four threes or, or over four more threes per hundred possessions than the Lakers. And I, I just think to keep up with some of those teams, you know, looking at the the Bucks, the Clippers, the Nets, the Jazz, the Nuggets, uh, those are five of the seven teams ahead of them. Those are probably their five biggest threats in the league right now. And all of those teams take and make more threes than the Lakers. So I, I do think that when looking at a potential playoff series against one of those five, um, you know, the three-point battle is going to be important. And the Lakers need to do a better job of optimizing their offense. Uh, then I got into lineup data, uh, KCP and, and his struggles, and then AD and, and his regression at the free throw line, uh, which I think people have been too hard on AD and, and his slow start and, and criticizing him. And, you know, I think overall, he's still been a top 10 player when you factor in defense. You know, some of the metrics paint him right there in that top five, top 12. Um, but, you know, when when looking at the totality of his numbers and his defensive contribution, I think he's been a top 10 player now. I would say he's he's been more in that 8 to 10 range where I think after the postseason last year, we were probably looking at him at like three or four, right? Like behind LeBron and, uh, you know, maybe Kawhi, maybe Giannis. Um, but he was right there w- w- with those guys. And I think now he's a little bit behind that pack. You know, I think he's fallen behind Jokic and Embiid, but we'll see if that's temporary. Uh, but but the, the free throw shooting has been weird because he's a career, you know, basically 80% free throw shooter in the regular season, 84% in the postseason. He's never shot below 75% and has actually shot above 79% in six of his eight seasons. So he's a really good free throw shooter, especially for, you know, I know he doesn't like to consider himself a center. He's basically a center. And for a center to shoot, you know, 80 plus percent, that's pretty good. Uh, but this season he's shooting 70%. And it's really after the first 11 games, he was at 77%, which is decent. But he's dropped to 66% over uh, his next 10 games. So 
something's up with 80s free throw shooting gotta figure that out but um if you want to read more you know i I go way more in depth on on all of these topics uh on my latest state of lakers piece that is on the athletic uh if you are not subscribed you can subscribe off of one of my tweets Uh, i tweeted the story out multiple times retweeted it uh, a couple times uh, but i definitely recommend checking that out i think basically everything i wrote still applies after tonight um, like LeBron's MVP claim grew uh, nine man rotation. It's too early to tell because they haven't had the full 11 man rotation. Uh, you know, rim protection is still a concern. THT had an off night, but overall has been playing pretty well over the past week and a half. The you know, three point shooting. I think that, that was an issue tonight and KCP had another cold game. So pretty much everything I, I think is still evergreen um, and, and probably will be for at least a week or so. So if you have not checked that out, be sure to do so. Uh, otherwise, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. I'm actually putting together a mailbag for Friday. So if you are listening to this and it's before Friday, uh, be sure to ask me any question you have with the Lakers um, on, on Twitter, and I will do my best to include it on uh, our upcoming mailbag. Uh, not mailbag episode of the podcast, but a mailbag on theathletic.com. Uh, and yeah, uh, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, you can do so at um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. Uh, you can do so on The Athletic. Uh, be sure to rate and review. And we appreciate you guys listening. I will be back Friday night after the Memphis game. Hopefully not another overtime. I, I cannot take another overtime. Um, I-, I will be in a-, a bad mood if it goes to a fourth straight overtime. So hoping that doesn't happen.